Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's podcast, the latest involving coronavirus COVID-19, how it affects us in many different ways. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Doug Ford uh, made, Premier uh, Doug Ford made, uh, addressed the media earlier on today and got various ministers and such just to tell everybody where we are and and, uh, and, and bring us all up to speed on what has happened. Uh, Ontario reported 40 new, uh, 42 new cases. Uh, that's of uh, yesterday, raising the total to uh, 145. Still only one death in Canada. We've seen various uh, situations uh, across the country. Uh, Alberta, uh, Quebec have followed uh, closing schools and such. Some have taken it even farther, closing down restaurants. Uh, and bars are certainly limiting access to them. Uh, here is a clip uh, when asked about the borders. Uh, every Both the Prime Minister and the Premier have said as this, as this situation changes, it's very fluid, like almost hour to hour. Um, you, you don't want to say minute to minute because you hope that knee-jerk reaction decisions aren't being made like that. But uh, at the end of the day, it is an, an extremely fluid story. And uh, we're going to hear later on this afternoon from the Prime Minister at about 1 o'clock. And we will go to that uh, press conference live as well. But here's uh, a clip of what uh, the Premier had to say in regard to the border. I am very concerned about reports we've been hearing at the border. We need the federal government to tighten up the border, ensure that proper screening and protocols are being enforced, and be prepared to take even greater steps to protect the health and safety of all Canadians. Here in Ontario, we're closing all schools until April the 6th. We've set aside $100 million in contingency funding for COVID-19. In addition, to $200 million from the federal government. In my direction, we have a $10 million public awareness campaign. Ads will run on TV, radio, and cultural media, and online. All right, let's bring in Peter Grev, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Your thoughts on where we are, where we have ended up in all of this. I mean, the last weekend has just been incredible, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, within the space of a week, uh, we're at a place uh, that we wouldn't have thought of where we'd be a week ago. I mean, I think that's how quickly it's moving. Our sense of what is necessary and possible has changed fundamentally. And so I would say a week ago, our politicians would have felt that we shouldn't do these things because ultimately, you know, the economic cost is too great. Uh, I think we've now been at the point that maybe these things are necessary uh, in terms of a public health response and that Ontarians maybe are ready uh, to deal with some of the challenges involved in terms of losses of income and worries around that, uh, loss of economic activity uh, in order to uh, use this strategy to try and forestall the worst. Uh, it's It's been um, interesting watching this, um, what most politicians will call a balanced approach, as this slowly starts to ramp up. Ramp up. Your thoughts on how this has been handled provincially and federally. Has there been 
uh, enough communication between the two. Some are saying, you know, all the provinces should be doing all the same things, yet, you know, obviously others would say each region is, is a bit different. Um, y- y- I guess this is one of the scenarios where you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, what about the, the, the federal and the provinces working together on this? Uh, I think they've been doing reasonably well. I mean, uh, you know, we can look at Europe as another example of, uh, you know, a situation where you have a complex set of jurisdictions and different ideas about when to go and do things, uh, you know, moving at different rates, but increasingly converging to the same uh, set of solutions, maybe with the exception of uh, uh, the United Kingdom. Um, I think in Canada we see a similar thing, where we had different ideas about what needed to be done, uh, but kind of a growing consensus and again, uh, even when there was disagreements about, you know, what steps to take forward, I think ultimately productive exchanges. And so, you know, even in the current moment, we've got the premiers of Ontario and Quebec who are not that happy with what the federal government is doing at the border. But uh, it's not preventing uh, a useful sharing of information and of strategies across the country uh, on a whole pile of other issues uh, related to the response to, to, to the COVID-19. From a public perspective, how important is it for all levels of government? And as you said, you certainly may have disagreements about things, but to largely keep it uh, not political and, and 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 to work together. We saw the we heard the premier today, um, uh, you know, giving kudos to the prime minister and Christia Freeland and such, where he felt it was due. How important is it to send that message to the public? Uh, I think it's crucial. I mean, obviously, in democracies, it's important we ask questions of uh, our leadership and of, you know, senior bureaucratic leaders uh, in a moment like this. Uh, But I think it's also important to the extent that the success or failure of these measures uh, depends on us acting collectively, uh, that they do speak uh, with one voice or in a manner that they aren't uh, leading us to question uh, the truthfulness or our trust in these officials, because when they ask us to do uh, important things and make important sacrifices in terms of not going to work or foregoing income, uh, you know, creating a series of, of difficulties in people's lives, meeting their month's end and so on, if they're going to do that, then it's important that what they do is effective. And for it to be effective, it means in most of these cases of public health, of everyone moving in the same direction. So, for instance, it's in sense of trying to flatten the curve Right, that we do that by limiting our social interactions in the coming few weeks. Um, are these defining moments? We've heard this statement that these are defining moments for leaders, whether it's a 9-11 scenario, whether it's something like uh, this, like a spreading virus or such. How are these defining moments? Well, I think they're defining moments where if leaders uh, show a basic competence, and channel the advice of, uh, you know, the right people, you know, in this case, our public health authorities, uh, they're going to find a public that is looking for them for that leadership because we're uncertain about where we're going and we recognize the need to move together. And so I think we reward leaders who are able to clearly enunciate what the challenge is, uh, what our choices are, and what solutions we should follow. So I think uh, leaders who take up the task, uh, you know, stand to benefit from it uh, in cases where the leaders are transparently kind of self-serving or using a crisis to their own ends or seem incapable of being clear with the citizens about what the choices are and, and what choices have been made, then I think they'll, they'll pay a price. So in a context like this, I think, you know, Doug Ford uh, probably has a chance to salvage some aspect of his leadership because we have a crisis, I think, that plays to his strengths as being a salesperson, uh, 
and, of, and not really doing the thinking himself, but channeling the advice that he's getting, and to the extent that he's getting good advice from the medical officers of health in Ontario, uh, you know, from uh, the corporate community, from the Minister of Finance, about how to deal with the economic ramifications of this, I think uh, generally Ontarians are willing to look to him and trust him in that role in a manner that they weren't in a, in a number of other fields, you know, if we think of, say, the, the teacher negotiations the past uh, six months. Uh, what can we learn from other countries, whether Europe, Italy, what have you? What what can governments learn? Well, uh, I mean, I think there's different, uh, you know, on different plans, you know, I mean, on the most direct way, the different strategies that have been used uh, in, in China and in Korea and now in Europe, to the extent that they're, you know, days or weeks or months ahead of us, we can see what was done and what seemed to work. Although even there, we're still learning. <laughs> I mean, it, it takes a while to go yeah. back and say what was effective or not. But clearly, you know, that's important. I think the other thing that uh, we learn from looking to other places is what are people willing to accept? Uh, I think in many ways we've been slow. Uh, I mean, we had time to prepare, but I think we uh, wasted some of that in North America because we just assumed people wouldn't be willing to do things like, uh, you know, and take the economic cost. And I think there was an unwillingness as well by uh, a lot of private economic actors to say, well, yeah, we might actually have to shut down the economy because we see what a huge impact it has on people's livelihoods and on economic activity. And certainly it's going to blow out the federal and provincial budgets having to deal uh, with this. Um, And so that looked impossible a while ago. But I think looking in other places, the necessity of doing it and finding a way of working through it is something that our governments have learned. It does show what a society is capable of, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, obviously, when the bills come due, uh, <laughs> the other side of it, I think, yeah. we'll also be capable of having all kinds of arguments about how do we pay for it? Do yeah. we ask uh, the wealthy to pay more? Do we cut back services? How do we, you know, how do we think about it? But certainly, in the short term, uh, yeah, there is a capacity for collective action. I mean, we do live a, a very individualist lives uh, compared to maybe, you know, when you, when we think back to even, you know, the times of the Second World War. Yeah, our sense of what we might give up ourselves for the collective good, I think, has changed significantly. But, yeah, in, in a moment of crisis, I think we do recognize our uh, fundamental connection with other people and the necessity. Uh, you know, their welfare is important to our welfare in terms of sustaining health. And, I mean, that's, in a way, you know, public health uh, was an important precursor to the building of the welfare state in the 20th century. Uh, things around sewers uh, and, uh, you know, public health interventions, mm. immunizations, in part because, uh, you know, disease is a way in which the richest and the least rich have their fates entwined. If the poor are getting sick in your city, well, you can't hide from it forever, even if you are wealthy. What about the psyche of the country? I mean, here we are day one of a three-week March break. Uh, you know, Canadians are certainly have the feeling now that, that everyone is, is hunkering down. Uh, and, and you must have seen this on, uh, on campus as things slowly ground to a halt. What about where we are mentally in all of this? Well, I think we're in a moment, I mean, as, you know, speaking from my own perspective, where I mean, things didn't really grind to a halt. They screeched to a halt, uh, you know, very suddenly yeah, a decision yeah. is made to... Uh, move a lot of uh, the activities of the university into a kind of virtual realm. And uh, I think a lot of people feel lost in the sense that the normal structure of their lives has been uh, confused. For some people, it means not working. For many others, it means working remotely. Uh, But without the structure of day-to-day interactions, uh, it's kind of hard to be productive and to feel uh, productive. So in that sense, I suspect people do feel disconnected in some of their usual ways of 
feeling reconnected are not obvious to them. You can't just go to the coffee shop and and uh, see your friends and understand what's happening. Uh, uh, you know, you're not even really meant to interact with people in many places. So, yeah, a lot of the things that make us feel connected have suddenly been lost, and so refinding a sense of you know the normal, refinding uh, a uh, a day-to-day uh, set of things to do in your work and in your family life. I think that's part of the challenge uh, because it does feel like very exceptional times. We talked many times, especially with some of the other uh, issues of the world in the last couple of years and such, and what a divided uh, planet it has become. Does this unite us? Does this... Is this a common cause? I mean, you know, we, we look back to even uh, what happened with 9-11. We all kind of watched from afar. It affected our travel and so on and so forth. But this is pretty much affecting every family. Um, d- d- can we learn from this? Well, I mean, I think these things don't uh, happen without having some kind of effect in politics, although what it is going to be, I think, remains to be seen. I, I think you're right that... It is a moment, a bit like you know, someone uh, landing on the moon, which maybe uh, enables us to think about our common humanity uh, and the necessity of facing a number of planetary-scale uh, challenges, whether it's global warming, uh, but also you know, the, the rise of diseases and uh, you know, the difficulty of dealing with a number of them, uh, given the limits of uh, our existing medications and so forth. So, I mean, it is a moment where maybe you will push a more internationalist uh, way of thinking about the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be hard to know what it means in our domestic politics. Does it produce a sense of common cause uh, and lead us to take on collective projects? Or uh, does it lead to a situation where we're faced with a bill for, you know, mm. suspending economic activity for, you know, a certain percentage of the year? I mean, if it's, uh, you know, say four weeks, you know, that's 8% of a gross national product, right? That's a significant share, and, and as a result, then that we get into arguments and divisions about who's going to pay for it. So uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, it's what we make of it, ultimately, in our politics. But, yeah, we can't have an event like this without it having an impact in terms of how we see the world, uh, our fellow citizens, and the, the challenges we face. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Premier of Ontario had a press conference uh, earlier this morning and updated uh, Ontarians on on what is happening moving moving forward and such. And uh, here's actually a clip of the Premier talking about panic buying and to remind everybody that there is enough of everything to go around and that if you go in and, and panic buy or shop or hoard that way, that all it does is just you know, leave gaps in the, in the supply chain and such. Here's the Premier on panic buying. There's plenty of food and household essentials to go around. Be prepared, but let's make sure there's enough for everyone. I've personally spoken to the vast majority of major retailers in Ontario, and they've assured me that our supply chain is currently able to handle the additional pressure. All right, here is uh, the Minister of Labour, Monty McNaughton, on legislation which would uh, hopefully uh, make things easier for those that do have to self-isolate. For weeks, the Deputy Premier has said employers should be reasonable when it comes to sick notes. Our proposed legislation would make it crystal clear that workers cannot be required to provide a medical note if they have to take a leave from work. And as we were talking uh, earlier on, the Finance Minister, Rod Phillips, stresses importance of communication between all levels of government. Experience has shown 
that this work is most effective when governments collaborate. And that's exactly what I've proposed to the federal government. I was pleased to sit down with my colleague, Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau, in Ottawa last week. We've stayed in close contact over the weekend, and I'll be participating in a call with all provincial finance ministers later today. All right, let's bring in Ahmad Khalid, uh, faculty member in human and social sciences, medical doctor, health policy advisor, Wilfrid Laurier University, and he is with us now. Ahmad, again, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Happy to speak, Scott. I'm guessing just in your day-to-day uh, interactions, people are asking you lots of questions. Absolutely. Uh, I actually just enlisted myself as a helper on my Twitter world to my friends and colleagues who are requiring the latest up-to-date information that can be translated to them in simple information. So I'm trying to play my role and help educate the public and answer any burning questions people have. What are you being asked the most? What's the most frequent question? I think people are really confused about the social distancing. What does that entail and what does that mean? How is that different from quarantine? Uh, so is, is the advice here for everybody to stay home? And the answer simply is yes, uh, stay home if you can. Uh, and by that, I mean that you don't have an urgent need to leave the house. Uh, now, having said that, many of the questions I'm getting is about people asking uh, of their employer requiring them to come to work. And if they decide not to go to work, that is their decision. So the point here is that we're seeing uh, a lot of employers putting the onus on the pre- person to make that decision whether to go to work or not. Uh, I think that is ill-advised and against the policy of the government, which is stating that if you've traveled or you've just came to the country, regardless of the country of origin you came from, you should self-isolate for 14 days. We're not seeing that translated into corporate world where they're advising people to stay at home. Talk a bit more about social distancing because, you know, we are hearing uh, certain provinces limiting uh, uh, restaurants, bars, that sort of thing. Um, what what does it mean for the average family? So, you know, say you're a family of four or five and you're living in a house and everybody's around each other. So obviously within that family, I'm sure you're relatively safe. But uh, could they see friends? Uh, should they be in contact with people who they were in contact with just last week if nobody has traveled anywhere? That's an excellent question. So I'll, I'll try to simplify this for everybody listening. If you have elderly people or somebody of older age or immunocompromised in your life, please stay away and avoid them uh, at the meantime. Connect with them through FaceTime video, WhatsApp video, FaceTime, uh, Facebook video, uh, just to be able to keep that social interaction. Uh, arrange to have your supplies as groceries delivered to your house. There are in Toronto things like Instacart, which is a website that allows you to deliver food to your house so you don't have to go to the groceries. And again, I repeat what the policy has been about that. Please don't hoard supplies. So uh, take what's uh, available in your house. I say this is a really good time, Scott, to go through your pantry and clean out things you've always wanted to use and never got to. So that's one. Avoid public transport. So avoid subways, streetcars, buses. Uh, Stay home from work and school because we know that schools are shut. And keep any avoidable interactions with people brief. So if you have to see people, uh, maintain at least two meters distance from them. Uh, and uh, try to avoid going to gyms, any place that has more than 10 people at one in one space. Uh, it, it has been quite a weekend. I mean, you think about Absolutely. where we were just even Friday with the schools closing and, and, and where we are today with hearing more travel restrictions. We're going to hear more from the Prime Minister uh, in a half an hour or so. 
How, what about people's psyche in all of this? I mean, it's not like every day we have to go through this. I mean, we, we talk about other issues that perhaps this generation has been through, whether it's 9-11. Uh, we all sort of watched that from afar. Of course, it affected our lives, but not to the extent that this is. It, this affects everyone in some way. Uh, what about our mental health in all of this? I'm glad you brought that up. How do we up? cope with this? Sure. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I was somebody who was in the United States during September 11 and lived through that time. And I can tell you that this is different. This is the first time we're seeing something like this that's affecting people's mental health status. And I spent a lot of time reflecting on why is the COVID-19 playing a different role than, for example, September 11. And the reality is, I think people are seeing direct impact to them now. You know, you and I spoke almost a week ago where I said, I'm not sure people are seeing how that can affect them. Well, that narrative has changed now with the increased number of cases, increase in the number of community cases not linked to travel. Now, every person is thinking, this could be me. If it's not me, it could be my parents. Uh, and I think that's what's affecting people's mental health status. And also, in addition, we're telling people to stay at home. Uh, and people are in their nature, social individuals. Uh, and so that's making it difficult to adjust to that thinking and how to really play a role in the society and how to step up in this era. And also, you know, whether it's, and at the end of the day, my goodness, this could be far worse than what it is in the way that it is affecting us at this point, I'm sure we can all put up with. But it, it appears that once you tell someone they can't do something, then all of a sudden things change, even though you wouldn't probably have done them anyway. You know, over the course of a week or two, are, are, are our lives really going to change that much? Sure, a bit. We're going to be inconvenienced. But it, it's that psyche about saying, well, all of a sudden now we can't do that. We got to stay at home. We got to do this. We got to social distance. It does affect us, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What's forbidden is wanted. Yeah. Uh, and so the minute we make something forbidden, it becomes... And I think that's why I appreciate Canada's stand on this of saying social distancing, not quarantine. And we have to remind the public of that. We're not in a, in, in, a, in a time of quarantine. We're in time of social distancing. So please maintain your own space away from individuals to get ahead of this. I mean, the Theresa Tam, was the, our Canada public health chief officer, was crystal clear in her conference yesterday when she said... The time is now uh, for everybody to step up. This is not just on the government. This is not on uh, just our provincial uh, territories, but also on each individual to step up and do this. So how does that translate? I get questions like, should I go to the gym today? And my answer is no. Do the workout at home. Uh, Should I go to work? The answer is if you can work from home, please work from home and find ways to keep yourself socially active within your own immediate environment. Uh, Your thoughts on how this has progressed, the science of this virus, how it has progressed even in the last couple of days? Uh, My sense is that uh, we're seeing, we we will see an increase in number of community cases, uh, and that's alarming. So uh, initially it was much easier because we could limit international travel. It was linked to people who've been to China, Iran, and South Korea. The case now is not the same. You know, right now, Ontario is sitting at 145 cases. Reports are saying it's actually at 176. Uh, We're seeing an increased number in British Columbia across the provinces of Canada. I think my sense of this is that we're the prime minister's uh, talk at one o'clock will be very telling of where the uh, country is heading towards. The risk level is still low. Will that change? Possibly. Uh, But I think the message coming from policy advisors and healthcare professionals is uh, stay home, stay alert. This is not a joke. It's not a drill. Uh, stay calm, but uh, lean on your friends and your support system. But keep in mind that we need to get ahead of this. We keep hearing the words flattening the curve. 
this is the time to really flatten that curve. And the one way to do it is by social distancing. Um, obviously, now is not the time to, although I, I guess as, the, as we progress through this, we have to analyze what, what is the best response and, and create a template from that. We are, are probably, as we anticipate, we'll hear more travel restrictions from the Prime Minister when he speaks after one o'clock. Um, should we have been screening sooner? Should we have closed things sooner? Or is this something you just have to take as it, as it comes, considering we don't know the history. I'll tell you something that is alarming to me. I know uh, as a fact that on Sunday and Saturday uh, this past weekend, people arriving into Pearson International Airport from places all over the world were not getting screened. Yeah, and that's that's how this has started again, is that you know we're under the impression that, that, that there is being screening going on at airports, but people have been coming in over the weekend saying, nobody, it was just like a normal flight for us. Correct. And, and I have direct contact with those people who said not a single thing was beyond the simple question, have you been to China, Iran or South Korea? There was no levels of screening at the airport. That's alarming. And we just heard the premiers talk about that, too. So I think that is going to change. I think we're going to see travel restrictions being upped up. Uh, we heard reports today, uh, I'm not sure if they're confirmed or not yet, that there was an officer at the control uh, Canada Border Agency in Toronto on Saturday at the airport who po- tested positive for COVID. So now there are circulating questions about who has he been in contact with. Uh, and so uh, I think what we are going to see in the coming days, if not within the hour, a much, much tighter uh, travel ban and restrictions at airports and borders all across the country. Uh, this is going to be a fascinating exercise for us, Ahmad, over and above, of course, the, 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 the tragedy and the health aspect and the loss of life that may occur. But what obviously concerns most about this is the speed in which it is transmitted from human to human. Um, uh, the fatality rate still relatively low at this point. Um, thank goodness it is a virus where the fatality rate is low at this point. Does this help prepare us for the next one or the one after that that may not be uh, or that may be more dangerous than this one? We are learning from this, are we not? Mm. Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, that's the big thing. So uh, I say the overreaction, if we are overreacting, that's a good thing. We want to be overreacting uh, in a calm, controlled manner, but the overreaction will lead to learning lessons. We are learning by the minute of how to deal with something like this. We haven't really had something in this magnitude uh, uh, ever. And so I think there's going to be systems put in place after this. It will be very interesting to watch uh, the landscape in Canada, both in a health policy level and even at a government level, to see how we adapt. But I will extend that to even educational systems. We're looking at universities now, figuring out how to adopt uh, technology into their day-to-day teaching. I think... Uh, the way we live, uh, how we used to live, will change post-COVID. Uh, and you and I will one day have a conversation mm. about how life has changed after COVID-19. I believe that, too. Um, can we learn anything from China at this aspect, at this point in time? Uh, we remember several weeks ago, before this hit our shores the way it has now, that's where all the focus was. That's what all the chatter is about. We hear very little coming from that part of the world now. What's happening there? Anything we can learn from that? Uh, so it seems the reports coming out of China is that they're under control and they're opening up back facilities. So we're seeing that stores are back to opening. Uh, hospitals are that were set up for COVID-19 are, are being dismantled. Healthcare workers are being released. The extra personnel they've hired released from hospitals. So they seem to be getting ahead of this. The lesson learned from China is that you can't take this uh, not seriously. You must act now. 
social distancing is exceptionally important. You know, China took a very drastic measure and went to quarantine uh, and banned international travel. So are we heading there? Time will tell. We don't know that at this moment. The number of cases in Canada is still not as high as it was in China. And our risk assessment level, according to our experts uh, at the government level, is still low. Uh, that might change, and we might see more drastic measures like China adopted into Canada. Okay, so we've all experienced uh, the last 72 hours, and, and you know, this finally grabbed us sort of by the coattails and, and, and made us realize that this is a serious scenario. What advice do you have for those listening right now as we enter uh, this next week? Um, what advice do you have for them? You know, uh, that's a really good question, but my advice is simple. I understand you're scared. I understand you're worried. Uh, I think that if you are living in Canada, you're in a safe space. Our systems are capable of addressing this. I must assure the public of that. We have the best of the best in the world here who are all working very hard to get ahead of this. So uh, rest assured, sit at home, continue practicing safe hand hygiene, uh, and uh, keep monitoring the news for any changes. But for the meantime, I think I go back to my earlier advice. When in doubt, don't freak out and just follow the facts that are available. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. COVID-19 reality grips Canada. Be prepared. Uh, but don't panic. Just finished, uh, obviously, earlier this morning, uh, the press conference with Premier Ford. And then uh, this afternoon, uh, the uh, press conference with the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, basically saying that Canada has uh, closed its borders to those who are not citizens. Um, the U.S. does have an exemption here, flights coming in from uh, the Caribbean as well. Uh, but other than that, closing uh, uh, entry into the country uh, from those that uh, are not from here. Also, uh, if you are on, uh, if you are somewhere away and you are sick and you go to get on the plane and they don't let you on the plane uh, or they won't let you on the plane and then in turn not into Canada. So if you are a Canadian and you are sick, uh, you have to hunker down where you are and the government will uh, provide support for you. But um, if uh, you're sick, you will not be allowed on any uh, Canadian flight. Also, uh, as of Wednesday, uh, only four Canadian airports will uh, receive international flights, uh, which is Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Calgary. So those Canadians coming back can be, uh, in fact, uh, processed and and uh, and screened in some way. Uh, this does not affect trade or keeping the supply, the supply chain um, uh, open. And this is, you know, I mean, some are saying, close everything down, close everything down. It's, well, that's, you know, all of a sudden you stop the supply chain, food and essentials that we need, and then all of a sudden the hoarding starts again. So uh, it is important that uh, we do keep those necessities, uh, uh, those businesses that are necessary um, uh, available to do what they need to do in order to keep the supply chain moving. Uh, to talk more about all of this, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, Alyssa PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. As always, Scott. Your thoughts on where we are today? You know, I just listened to the Prime Minister talk about travel restrictions, and it was interesting. I thought that both Premier Ford and Prime Minister Trudeau would come out with even stronger and, dare I say, more draconian uh, restrictions. I think that a lot of people are taking it upon themselves to impose their own uh, restrictions about whether they're going into work or whether they're staying at home and um, 
doing their own sort of social distancing and or self-isolation. So my, and so mainly, you know, what the, as we all heard, what the Prime Minister talked about was about travel restrictions um, to non-Canadians, not closing the borders to the U.S., however. I have to think, though, that there's some sort of method to the madness here. Like, we know, we've seen the pictures of tons and hordes of people going through Pearson, going through other large airports in the U.S., like O'Hare, they're cheek by jowl, and nobody is really testing them as they come into yeah, the, yeah. the country. That's the first thing. And that that's been questioned. That's been questioned for the last several days. And he did get hammered on that again today um, in the media scrum after his statement. And he kept going back to his key message: is that we are now working, we are working, and have been working to keep all Canadians safe, especially our most vulnerable. And that's where they keep going. So that's where they keep going back to. Uh, you know, whenever you do these type of contentious press conferences, and and this is what they are, because they are in the national interest and they do affect millions of lives. You do have to go by your key messages. So you'll see him going back and landing on: we're doing everything we can to protect Canadians. You'll hear that over the next ad nauseum over the next little while. What I think may happen, Scott, is that we're going to get drips of information every day. Yeah. And, and, and so you have to think about that. Well, why not give it all at once? Well, because people will freak. You know, they yeah. closed the schools the other, uh, the other day. We talked about it last week. Yeah. And everybody ran to Walmart and loaded up on 10 jugs of jatter. I know. Even think of the, you know, just think of, of, of the psyche over the weekend. I mean, it was bizarre. The last 72 hours have been bizarre. I was supposed to go to a wedding of a good friend. Her oh daughter my. is getting married on Sunday, and he, she even basically more or less canceled the wedding for all invitees except for um, oh my. family, yeah. which is just a heartbreaker. But mm. she said, "You know, come, you can, you know, watch the ceremony." And I thought, you know what? I love you, but I'll watch the video. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that that's just a choice that we have to make. But yeah. then again. You have people who are, you know, asking the premier, "Gee, should, can't I go to a bar on St. Patty's Day?" Mm. Well, use use your discretion, use your own judgment. Okay, well, it is clear that not everybody has great judgment. Yeah. So just say no. I mean, De Blasio and uh, Governor Cuomo from New York State said no. Mm-hmm. And and what are your thoughts on how some of the provinces are reacting differently? Should we have one sort of blanket thing? I mean, you want to, obviously the Prime Minister wants to keep things uh, uh, intact. On, on the other hand, uh, he doesn't want to invade the province's space. But should we have, okay, all the schools are closed. Okay, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. You know, it's interesting because I think he's well aware that there are certain issues that are under provincial jurisdiction. Um, healthcare is one of those issues. Uh, you know, everybody's education system is under their own provincial jurisdiction. So, you know, there are premiers who are sort of taking the lead and saying, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do for my province. You see that with Jason Kenney. You see that um, with uh, Legault in Quebec. And to some extent, you do see it with uh, Premier Ford here in Ontario when he, they decided that you know schools would be closed for mm-hmm. not only just March break, but two weeks thereafter. What happens with the lack of cohesive direction is that everybody starts acting in their own self-interest. So that's why you see premiers taking the bull by the horns and saying, okay, listen, the feds are not necessarily going to tell me what to do here, but they may eventually tell me what to do before putting the whole country on a lockdown. But I am going to do what I think is right for my province. So that's why you see a discrepancy of initiatives from province to province. 
Um, how do you think this is going to affect us moving forward from a psyche? I mean, we may we may slip into norms here, uh, or uh, rather, alternative modes of doing things, ways of doing things that may become the norm in the future. You know, they may. I remember SARS in two thousand and three. I think it was April, and I remember having a, a news conference that afternoon, and there were a bunch of people who came from Sunnybrook who were standing there kind of all freaked out, realizing what was going on. And we started pushing um, elevator buttons with our knuckles, or we started started bumping elbows instead of shaking hands. We started washing our hands more often. Did that stick over the last 10, 20 years, you know, whatever, 18 years? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, we suffered tragedies like 9-11, and that freaked everybody out. And and there are still some travel restrictions um, and rules that we have to abide by as a result of that. Do I think that people's behavior is going to turn on a dime? I think it may, it will for this, especially if they're mandated to do so. Will it carry on? I don't know. I mean, it might for the short term, but in the long term, I think that, you know, human nature is, tends to fall back into their own pattern. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So just to reiterate, uh, this is just new information that is coming up, or sorry, coming out, and that now there have uh, recorded three new coronavirus deaths in Canada. They are all in British Columbia. That brings the total uh, up to four that have passed in Canada. Um, these deaths uh, all related, connected to the Lynn Valley Care Center in North Vancouver, again, uh, drawing more attention to the fact that um, we certainly um, need to spend more of our efforts protecting those that are vulnerable. Uh, for those that don't have the preconditions, um, for the most part, uh, we'll be fine. But in all of this panic, we have to really direct our energy to those that are in the high-risk category. So uh, obviously keeping an eye on this story, and as uh, more progresses, we will certainly bring that to you. All right, let's move on. Um, As we've talked many times, there's so many uh, different offshoots, different spins to this story, uh, and affects people in, in so many different ways, whether it's travel, school closings, health, uh, what have you. But another scenario who we may, uh, which we may not have thought about, what if you are expecting? What if you are in the middle of a pregnancy? Uh, already a situation where you have to be very uh, uh, concerned about your health and what is going on around you. What sort, of, uh, what sort of conditions, what sort of fear does this create if one is expecting at this point? Let's bring in Elizabeth Brandeis, midwife and president of the Association of Midwives of Ontario Board of Directors, and is with us now. Elizabeth, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hi, good afternoon. Elizabeth, have you received a lot of of calls, questions from expectant mothers who are concerned about this? What's the feeling? Well, absolutely. Um, You know, I think as you mentioned, the the information that we're all receiving is evolving, not just daily, but by the hour. So midwives, like all other healthcare providers, are paying close attention and trying to stay as well informed as we possibly can in order to give our clients the most up-to-date information as it becomes available. How does this change things in your occupation? Because Mother Nature is coming no matter what. Yes, of course. So, you know, we can't put uh, pregnancies on pause and we can't put births on pause. 
So we're being as responsive as we possibly can be by um, implementing some changes around minimizing the number of visits, continuing to, of course, see people on a regular schedule and to ensure that their pregnancies are healthy, but also minimizing some of the length of contacts, minimizing the number of support people who are accompanying our clients to their appointments. Um, and uh, like I said, just really paying as close attention as we can to the information as it becomes available, um, even though we know that there have been, you know, hundreds of thousands of cases of COVID-19 around the world, we don't have a lot of information about the specific impacts from, for pregnancy and for newborns. But what it seems to be showing is that um, that healthy people are mostly having mild symptoms, and as long as symptoms are mild, we're we're not uh, we're we're not overly concerned. Of course, people with more severe symptoms, we're worried about the impacts on their fetuses, and so those are the people who are really going to focus um, our more uh, intensive attention on. So we really don't know how this can affect the pregnancy. I mean, we've heard that this that this virus, uh, obviously, if you're in the high-risk category, those that have uh, preconditions, those that are uh, elderly and such, uh, it, it appears at this point it doesn't necessarily seem to target the young. But but what about infants and such? Any information there? I guess it's, it's pretty much hit and miss at this point. We just don't know the answer, do we? Well, exactly. We, we have had some case studies, particularly studies that have come out of China, that have shown in, uh, in, in newborns who are born to a parent who's, who's very impacted. Of course, those are the cases we would expect to see more impacts on the baby. Um, but as long as the, the pregnant person and the new parent isn't exhibiting uh, overt signs of uh, unwellness. We're we're just recommending that people continue to take the precautions that we're rec- recommending for everybody. So you know, really um, good thorough hand washing, um, social distancing as much as possible. Which of course is difficult when you know a new baby is coming into the world. You really want your community to gather around you. So um, so that's probably the most difficult part of all of this for most people. Um, do we have scenarios where, you know, what if a, a an expectant mother becomes infected? Um, what does that mean from for the baby? Do we know at this point? Has there been cases of, of women who have delivered and have tested positive? Yeah, so for symptomatic, um, symptomatic people who are testing positive, um, there there are recommendations for heightened surveillance, so more intensive monitoring um, throughout the labor to ensure the, the well-being of the baby. Um, but again, you know, most, most people right now are healthy and most people even who do have an infection are having mild infections, so I think, uh, or mild symptoms. So I think we need to take it on a case-by-case basis and of course, just continue to be vigilant and um, and continue learning as the information evolves. 
Does the average flu, and again, we can't really compare this to anything really. Uh, many have uh, of tried, whether you're comparing it to SARS or, or the average uh, seasonal flu or such. Um, does the average seasonal flu pose a problem for expectant mothers if they do, if they do come down with it during their pregnancy? We do know that, um, that pregnancy is a condition that can make the symptoms of flu worse. So we know that, for example, hospitalizations due to flu are, um, there are higher rates of hospitalizations for people who are pregnant and have the flu. We don't seem to be seeing that the, the exact same association with COVID-19, but um, the idea behind that is that the state of pregnancy does require some immune suppression. In other words, the body doesn't launch as many responses to um, to to a, a foreign pathogen like the flu because it's a natural mechanism to support the pregnancy that the, the immune system doesn't overfire. So we do know, I mean, this is why we recommend flu shots during pregnancy um, and why the kinds of precautions that we're recommending around hand washing and and social distancing and self-isolation for those who are in high-risk categories is so important for people who are pregnant. So what advice would you have for expectant parents out there that have got this now tossed onto their plate as well as all of the other uh, issues that surround a parent, especially a new parent? Uh, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I think I think the, the advice really is the same for all of us, that we need to keep this in perspective and to focus on uh, on being healthy and staying healthy and try not to uh, try not to panic in the face of all of the you know inundation of information but I do think the really reasonable approach for everybody and especially you know for for people who are pregnant and new parents is to take the public health recommendations very seriously hand washing hand washing hand washing and to avoid contact with people who are in a higher risk um, category so really paying attention to the travel alerts and of course um, and this is what we would recommend with anybody with a new baby is to limit visits to people who are absolutely healthy so um, you know this isn't unique to this situation but mm. when people have a cough or a runny nose or a fever that those people will have to wait to meet the new baby. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, of course, with the latest information that has uh, just come out, that being that uh, the Prime Minister has uh, cancelled entry for anyone who is uh, not a Canadian citizen coming into the country, the U.S. exempt at this point. Also, if you're on a flight boarding coming to Canada, if you show signs of infection, you will not be uh, allowed to board the plane. Um, and as well, international flights that are coming in with Canadians on board now restricted to four airports uh, in Canada, including Vancouver, Calgary, uh, Toronto, and Montreal. So things changing uh, pretty pretty consistently, uh, hour by hour, as uh, as this um, uh, process, I guess, just progresses to keep up with everything. Uh, let's get a local uh, angle on all of this. Bring in Dr. Zhang Chagla, uh, infectious disease specialist with St. Joseph's Hospital, and on the line now. Doctor, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. 
Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, interesting question I just got for a listener and I'll, from a listener, and I'll pose it to you right now. Uh, a, na- a person is noticing that their neighbor just got back from a holiday somewhere, and they're not self-containing for two weeks. They're not self-isolating, rather, uh, for two weeks. Uh, obviously, there's been lots of, of uh, information out there suggesting that people should do this. What, what do you do if, if you see people that are coming back and, and not necessarily heeding the government's advice here? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think this, this really comes down to, to all Canadians really acting together here and, and following that advice that, that unfortunately it is an honor system. We, uh, we don't really have the resources to go into communities and track, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of travelers coming back to Canada and making sure that they're, they're abiding by all the rules and regulations from a, from a personal standpoint, you know, what we talk about for social distancing, hand hygiene, respiratory etiquette, all, all of that stuff still applies to protect the individual from other people that are at high risk of acquiring the infection, which is right now people who come back from travel. Um, but uh, really these are individual responsibilities as, as being, you know, citizens and, and residents of Canada that they should adhere to, to the, to this and, and it, it benefits us all to, to make sure we do adhere to it otherwise we're, we're going to end up in the situations we talked about flattening the curve obviously uh, the reason that uh, one of the reasons that uh, we've closed the schools after spring break is those that may return home and then spread after spring mm-hmm. break and this obviously involves a two week uh, period uh, which everybody says we should self isolate uh, for that being said are you concerned now that the government it says come on everybody got to get back home enough of that um it's, it's time to close, uh, to, to bring you back while the borders are still open. Um, are you concerned that we might see a spike after this week or so because there are simply so many travelers coming back now? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Canada is up to about 350, 400 cases. And for 95% of them, it is travel related. And, uh, and we are seeing an increasing burden of disease in other countries in the world, particularly throughout Europe, but even in the United States. And so, as you mentioned, as we probably do have more people coming back to Canada, uh, we're going to have more people potentially being at risk of being infected, and that, that's probably the biggest risk factor all there, uh, out there. And so, it's it's it, you know exceptionally important for those people to to do their civic duty and and self isolate to protect us all, and and really to maintain and 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 really conserve those healthcare resources that we need for for uh, people who could acquire the infection from just being here locally. Uh, last question, doctor. Three more deaths reported in British Columbia, bringing the Canadian total up to four. These are all in British Columbia and related mm-hmm. to that nursing home uh, scenario. Uh, how are we coping with this local, locally? Any advice for Hamiltonians? Uh, so, you know, I, from what I was reading today, there's about 10 cases in the region. And so, uh, and at the, from what I can gather, all of them are still travel related. So um, the same measures that, that are taking place in Vancouver are, and BC are, are still pretty relevant here. Uh, as Hamiltonians, we still need to practice social distancing like everyone else. I think we, we need to take good looks at any kind of group gatherings. Um, events where we're in close proximity, making sure we're two, two meters away from people, making sure we, we uh, isolate with any kind of respiratory symptoms too as well to, infect, uh, to avoid infecting others. Um, as you know, Hamiltonians are going to see the same risk as, as everyone else across this country. And I think we have to 
prepare now for when the situation eventually does get worse and we have to really, really, really be uh, enforcing these actions. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.